Well, I'll invite everyone to uh, start finding your way back to your seats. It'll, uh, it's always good to be able to continue those conversations after the service over tea or coffee or even soup. So uh, we hope people will be able to take the time to, to hang around and enjoy those things. But uh, we're going to come around God's word now and we trust that God speaks to us when we read from his word and when we uh, dive into it to see what it says to us today. So before we uh, get into the word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us. You've given us your word so that we can know who you are and who we are in you. We trust that your word does not come back to you empty, but achieves the purpose that you've sent it out for. We trust that, as you said, it is a living word that speaks to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that you will just use your word that you've given us not just so that we might know more about you, but that you might, through your word, make us the people you want us to be, that we might be more like Jesus, that we might bring glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I want to start with just a very little pop quiz, or just, just put your hands up if you, this year, watched the latest season of Lego Masters. Put your hands up. Have we got some Lego Masters fans in the house? Okay, so I won't tell you who won? Okay, I better not do that. Um... It's the first time I've watched any of it, but it's quite an interesting show to see the way that from a little base plate, you know, from a little Lego plate that you build things on, these people build these amazing things, whether it's sea monsters coming out of the sea to attack a boat or you know, a giant castle uh, floating in the clouds. It's really incredible to see over the, the course of the show how from this little thing that they had at the start, this little foundation they had to build upon, this wonderful thing is brought to life. And that's what something I was thinking about this week, looking at the passage that we have in 1 Corinthians today and the way that God has given us a wonderful and, well, something we should be challenged about, but also something we should be encouraged about. A wonderful job to build something incredible on the foundation that he has given us. So we're reading, uh, we're going through a series in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians. And today we're reading chapter 3 for anybody who wants to follow along in your Bibles. And so Paul goes on in his letter. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? 
For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they'll each be rewarded according to their own labour. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet will be saved even though as only as one escaping through the flames." Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred. And you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you're wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ and Christ is of God. That's our passage from this morning. And I know there are a few with us who might not have been here for the first parts of our series in 1 Corinthians. So just to remind ourselves of what's going on, this church in Corinth is one that Paul had planted. We see it up there around AD 51 in his second missionary journey. And he spoke about the time when he planted that church in the passage that we read. He talked about how he came, he laid the foundation for them. That is, he told them what Jesus Christ had done for them. He laid that foundation of Jesus Christ, not a foundation of Paul the Apostle. And he said, I gave you milk. I I gave you the, the basics of the gospel because that was all you were ready for. And now... Something like three, what do they say, three to five years later, Paul has received visitors from the church in Corinth and they've brought with them a letter full of questions that the people of Corinth have about about God, about Jesus, about the faith. But also these people came with a report to say things are not particularly brilliant 
in the church in Corinth. Among other problems, this church is heavily divided with people arguing over all sorts of uh, their different understandings of what, what it means to be a Christian, what spiritual gifts you have to have to be a Christian. But at the heart of this issue was this division over who it was they followed, whether it was Paul or whether it was Apollos or whether it was Cephas, the Greek form of the name Peter. Each faction in this church had a chosen leader and Paul is writing to them uh, in this early part of the letter. This is the first thing that he wants to address after his greeting to them is this division needs to stop. As we noted, when Paul first came, the Corinthians, they were, they were Christian babies. They were Christians, but they weren't very mature in their faith. They're taking their first steps in a new life, just like a toddler takes their first steps. And Paul says bluntly, these divisions show that you are still babies. I don't know if you've ever broken up an argument between small children. Small children can argue and divide over just about anything. We were playing unicorns and so-and-so said that I wasn't allowed to be a dragon and so I hit him. And Paul is saying, like, this is what your division in this church looks like to God. You are still being babies in the Christian sense. He's not telling them you're not Christian but he's telling them it's time to grow up. Dividing over which human leader they followed was ridiculous because Paul says, Apollos and I, we're just servants. We're just doing the role that God has given us. And God has given every one of us a role. Paul plants, Apollos waters, but God brings the growth. Paul and and Apollos build on the foundation, but Jesus is the foundation. And if we believe if we follow Jesus, if we believe in God, then to divide and have enmity between one another because of the human leaders that we follow. It's ridiculous. Now, I mentioned we think about, I mentioned last week, we can often think about this in form, in terms of the different denominations that exist. Now, I don't think it's necessarily a problem for denominations to exist and for there to be different churches in the town, so long as we are not divided, so long as we are not opposed to one another and showing enmity and anger towards one another because we disagree about the things that don't matter. I take that as a word of agreement. Um, but the, um, So it's not necessarily saying we can't have denominations in different churches, but what are our attitude toward those that are different to us? But are still built on that foundation of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Our allegiance is to Jesus, not to the servants that led us to Jesus. 
we can still be really thankful and appreciative for those people. We can still have a good spot in our hearts for those Christian leaders and teachers that have been an encouragement to us. But our allegiance is to Jesus. But that doesn't mean that the people who led us to faith, like I said, don't matter. And it doesn't mean that we don't matter. Because like Paul and Apollos had a role, one to plant, one to water, we all have a role. We all have a place that God has given us. Some people are planters, taking the word of God to people that have never heard it before and planting a seed. Some people are waterers who build up the people who have heard the word but need to be encouraged and need to grow in their faith. There are other uh, divisions, not, not bad divisions, but other ways that the Bible breaks up the different gifts people have. Some people are word ministers, sharing the word and the gospel with people. Some people are table ministers, doing the practical things to care for the church and for people around them. We each have a role, planting, watering, building up, whatever it might be, we all have a role. And no matter what we're called to, one thing is the same in all of it. We're to point people to Jesus in doing that and not point people to ourselves. It's not about getting somebody to follow me, but about getting somebody to follow Jesus. To know the love of Jesus and to love him in return. And it's good to reflect on, on the teachers and the, um, you know, the Christian leaders and the, the authors and the people that we follow. Are they people that are pointing us to Jesus or to themselves? Do they see themselves as servants or as saviours? We each have a role. We each have something that we're building. But we can only build on the foundation, the foundation that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. We can't make a new foundation. In the terms of the, the passage we're looking at, there can't be a church of Paul and a church of Apollos. There's only one church, which is the church of Jesus Christ, that Paul and Apollos are building upon, and they call us to build upon it as well. And so in verses 10 to 11 of this passage, Paul says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And that's not him laying a different foundation, the foundation of Paul the Apostle but laying the basic understanding of Jesus Christ and him crucified, the things that he said back in chapter 2. I laid the foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. God is building something new. From the very beginning, knowing that Adam and Eve would sin against him, knowing all of the things that would happen, God planned to build something new. He planned to build a new heaven and a new earth. He planned to build a new kingdom of people who would follow him. 
He planned to build a new family of people who loved him and who he loved. God had always planned to do this from the very beginning. And all of it is built on what Jesus has done for us. Paul gives us the picture where the foundation is Jesus and what he's done for us. And then every brick going into that building is a person, the life of a person who has become a follower of Jesus. Enemies of God made family by what Jesus did at the cross. Because every one of us has decided that we want to be God in our own lives, that we want to have the right to rule our lives and to choose what we should do and put ourselves in God's place. Every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And every single one of us in in doing that made ourselves enemies of God. We wanted all of the good things that God had made in this world, but we wanted them without him, without the one who had made them. Thanks for all the stuff, now rack off. We don't want you. We'd all become enemies of God. But while we were still his enemies, Christ died for us, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. God loved us even while we were in opposition to him and made us his family through what Jesus did at the cross. Why does the cross matter to that? Why couldn't he just decide that we were family again? Because then God would not be just. Then God would be someone who looked on all of the evil things that people did and said, oh, that doesn't matter. What would we think of a judge that was sworn to uphold the law, that had people brought before him that had done all sorts of horrible things and just said, oh, that doesn't matter. We'll pretend that didn't happen. That's not justice. Our sins, our, all of the things that we'd done against God needed to be paid for. But what God did in his love was the cross, where Jesus, God made flesh, and made his dwelling among us, took on the sins of the world. He who was without sin became sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Our sins are paid for not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus has done at the cross, and that is why it is the foundation for everything that God is building. Before there can be a world with no sin, the new heavens and the new earth, sin had to be dealt with. Before there can be a world with no death, death had to be defeated by the one who had died and rose again, never to die again. That's what Christ has done for us by giving his life and by rising again. Now, we live in a time where that building isn't finished. 
The new heavens and the new earth, we'll call that the roof of what God is building. And that hasn't happened yet. But the foundation has been laid. And every day, the brick is being added to the walls of this building. And God gives us all a part. We, each of one of us, is a brick in this building, all doing our part. And so Paul warns this divided, fractious church. You can only build on one foundation. All of you are in the one building. And it's time to start recognising that. And it's important that we make sure that we build well. Because he says there will come a day, at the end of days, when our work will be tested with fire. And he makes it clear he's not talking about eternal salvation at this point. He's saying, like, if your work fails, you'll suffer loss. You will be saved, but as one who escapes through the fire. He's not talking about whether people go to heaven or to hell, about whether these Christians are saved. But it's about whether on that day, our lives prove to have made a difference in building this kingdom of God. It's a picture of building something to last and to last forever. It's the difference between the Romans building a road that still exists today and the council building a road that's falling apart two weeks later. What are we trying to build with our lives? Something that will matter, that will last for eternity. What will last for eternity? the difference that we've made for people that God has brought into our lives, the love of God that we've shown to them, and we pray that the people who receive the love of God because we have shared it with them. But it's not as though we we can sort of suggest that only the things we do in ministry will matter, and only these things will last. But the Bible doesn't necessarily give us that impression. Instead, the Bible tells us, Whatever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, whether you go to school or university, whether you work on a construction site or in an office building or out in a tractor, whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Do it with thankfulness to Jesus for all that he's given you in the place where he has put you. And do it with a heart that says, I want to honour you with how I work with the integrity with which I do things, with the way I go about my life. This is building up a brick in this building that will last on that last day. And so Paul Paul invites us to examine ourselves and say, what are we building? Not because we want to be saved. This is not what we want to do to be saved. He's made that point clear. But because Jesus gave his life for us because he's called us to have a place in in building a part of his kingdom. Don't we want to build it well and get that reward that he promised, whatever that might be, on that last day? What are we building today? What are we building tomorrow at work, in our families and in the ministries that we're involved with? Paul finishes this call to us, this part of this letter, 
with a call to be wise and to build well. We saw last week the Corinthians really cared about being seen as wise in the world's eyes. And Paul said, you're going to have to give up that dream because the world sees the cross as foolishness. You've got to give up one or the other, being seen as wise or holding on to Jesus Christ and him crucified. But Paul says, if God is really making all things new, if God really has saved us from death into life, if our choice is between you know, just going about life doing whatever or building something for God that will last, the wise thing to do is to be a fool in the world's eyes, to put our hope in the cross of Jesus Christ and to build something that will last forever. Be wise and build a life that glorifies God and makes an eternal difference. And the truth is, sometimes as we're faithful to God, we, have, we might have the wonderful opportunity to share our faith with somebody and have them come to Jesus. But maybe not everybody has that really concrete you know, conversion moment that happens in their lives. Sometimes we can't know the way that we are faithful in the little things, how that impacts somebody else and makes a difference for God. So let's think as we go out. Let's reflect on what our lives are building, on the love that we're showing to our family, to our friends, on how we go about our work, that we might pray each day, God, let me do accounting or farming or working in a mechanics workshop. Let me do it to your glory. Let me see how I might be able to honour you by doing my work well. And if somebody has, and we pray that God might somebody come along that I can help today. And if somebody has questions, let me be bold to answer them, that I might bring you glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the incredible foundation that you have laid. You've given us Jesus Christ, the Son of God, there from before the world began, and through whom and for him, for whom all of this world and all things were made. And when we sinned and turned against you, you came, you gave your life for us so that all who would believe in you would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, we trust you that we are saved not because of how good we are, how many Bible passages we've learned, how many songs that we've sung, but we're saved because what Jesus has done for us on the cross. But Lord, knowing that we are not saved by our good works, help us to remember that our good works can still have an important place. Let us be encouraged in gratitude for what you've done for us at the cross. To seek to live lives that will glorify you, that will build a brick out of gold, silver and precious stones.
in that new thing that you're building, the new kingdom of God, that one day we will see you in the new heavens and the new earth. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn that we're going to sing this morning is not one that we do a great deal here at this church, but I felt that we couldn't really pick any other hymn today. We're going to sing The Church's One Foundation.